Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. As we start this new year, what better place to do it than in the sanctuary of God's presence as we celebrate this feast of the holy name of Jesus. And as we come to this day, I was thinking about royal names and royal titles. And in the world today, there are still approximately 43 large extended families of royalty where they have some connection to being uh, heads of state or constitutional monarchs or something like that. And among those, there are all sorts of long, long, long titles. And as you might imagine, there are also some really long names. And the one who has the longest name right now is the gentleman who goes by Ferdinand, Jovanamir, Maria, Balthus, Keith, Michael, Otto, Antal, Bonham, Leonhard, von Habsburg. Can you imagine putting that on your name form? All of those names belong to this 25-year-old guy who is so far away from any seat of power that he's actually best known as a race car driver. So having a big fancy name or a big fancy title doesn't necessarily mean anything. But in contrast to that, the name of Jesus, simple, two syllables is full of meaning. So today, as we continue in this Christmas season, we are going to set about pondering a little bit about the name of Jesus. Part of the reason that in the church year, Christmas lasts for 12 days, is that we need time to appreciate and contemplate the wonder of what God has done in sending his son, Jesus, the baby Jesus, the culmination of God's plan of salvation as he comes to this earth. So this morning, I want us to think a little bit about three things relating to this moment of Jesus' name. And the first of those is the certainty of God's promises that are fulfilled in Jesus' name. Second, the mystery of the incarnation that is fulfilled in Jesus' name. And thirdly, the significance of the name itself. So first, the certainty of God's promises. One of the remarkable things about the birth of Jesus is that as we saw in the uh, epistle today and as we have heard all through Advent, Jesus' birth is the culmination and the fulfillment of prophecies that have been around since the beginning of the Old Testament. And God's promise of a Savior and of a plan of salvation actually goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, to chapter 3, right after the fall. And God promises a Savior way back then, even though it may not be immediately apparent, and there's a fancy theological term for this, which is the proto-evangelium, which basically means the first gospel message. And that comes in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve have been beguiled by the serpent and eaten the fruit, and the Lord God goes seeking after them. Even though he knows that they have sinned against him, he goes seeking after them and asks, where are you? 
And then after they have said what they have done, the Lord says this, and says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now that may not sound like a prophecy about Jesus, but it is. It is the gospel good news and it is the first promise given by God after the fall. And these words are the words from which everything else in the Bible flows. That great English preacher, Charles Simeon, called this verse the sum and summary of the whole Bible. For you see, what is going on here is Christ is in the middle of this verse. He is the ultimate seed of the woman who would one day crush the serpent's head. In the process of crushing the serpent's head, his heel would be wounded when he was on the cross but that predicts this victory of Jesus over Satan that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament point toward that are fulfilled in Jesus' birth. This is an amazing thing, and it is something that we would do well to remember, and it used to be more uh, popular, shall we say, uh, in Christian talk than it is now, and in fact, that great Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, which was written by Charles Wesley with some additions by George Whitfield, originally referred to this. It also originally had the unfortunate first line uh, that was, Hark how all the welkin rings. Doesn't exactly make you want to stand up and sing. Uh, the welkin was the, uh, the idea of the skies, but George Whitfield is the one that changed it to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And Whitfield and Wesley wrote this verse, which unfortunately we rarely sing today, uh, that was the next to last verse. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This proto-evangelium in Genesis 3 throughout Christian history has been seen as fulfilled at Christmas, and that's why that lesson of Genesis 3.15 is one of the ones we read in lessons and carols every year. So the first certainty is that God's promise is fulfilled that goes all the way back in Genesis. But then moving fast forward to the New Testament, in the first chapter of Luke's gospel and in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, we see another promise being made, one to Mary and then one to Joseph. The first one in Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary and says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now these couple of verses are loaded with promises. The first is that this child will be holy, that is set apart, that this child will be the son of God, the son of God, the incarnate in flesh son of the creator of the universe. 
that he will be David's heir and that he will establish an everlasting kingdom where he will be the eternal king. And the amazing thing is that his name is to be called Jesus. And this is before Mary has even conceived this child. His name is to be called Jesus. And then when we look in Matthew chapter 1, we see a similar promise to Joseph. And as Joseph considers what to do about the fact that Mary is expecting, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see these promises of God through the Old Testament to Joseph and Mary and these promises about who Jesus will be, that he will save his people from their sins, that he will be the fulfillment of all that God has promised through the prophets, and that his name will also be called Emmanuel, God with us, that God is taking the initiative to send him to us to save us, just as God took the initiative in Genesis way back then in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin to reach out to them and even then plant the seed that would lead to this great promise of salvation. And then as we've sung in the Christmas carols and as we heard in today's gospel, we have the promises to the shepherds. And I wanna just pause for a second with the promises to the shepherds because if you were to try to look for the most earthy expression of what it means to be human, the shepherds would probably be it. We have a very 21st century sanitized view of shepherds that owes too much to cute children and Christmas pageants. But shepherds actually are rough, stinky people who live rough, as they say in England. They live out of doors. They are with the sheep morning, noon, and night. They are the bottom rung of society. They would never be received in the royal palace. Um, they are the fullness of what it means to be human sort of at its lowest form. And rather than have the angels go and appear to Herod's court or to the Pharisees or the chief priests and the elders, God wants to make the point that Jesus is coming to embrace fully what it means to be human. And so he sends these messengers to the shepherds. And the shepherds are out there minding their flocks and all of a sudden the angel comes and speaks to them and says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And it is a remarkable thing because you have the heavenly host 
saying, Christ the Lord, the predicted, promised Messiah, King from all eternity, born to be slain for our sins. He is being born, this mighty king, in a manger, in a cow stall. Now, if you think the shepherds were smelly and rough, the cow stall and the manger were even more so. And that is how God chose to enter our world and to embrace his humanity. Jesus, fully man and fully God. Which leads us to our second thing to contemplate, which is the whole mystery of the incarnation. That Jesus is fully human, born in a stable, surrounded by animals, born of a human mother, and yet he's fully God. The heavens are breaking forth into song because of his birth. He is the fulfillment of every prophecy. And this name is bestowed in the most human moment. The name Jesus bestowed at Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day, marking his identification with the covenant of God's people with Israel. And Jesus is the fullness of what it means to be God and the fullness of what it means to be man. And this indeed uh, is a great miracle. Incarnation literally means putting on flesh. And according to C.S. Lewis, it is the central miracle of Christianity. Lewis said this, the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion that what is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated, eternal, came down into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again, bringing nature up with him. What God did about us and our sin was this. The second person in God the Son became human himself, was born into the world, as an actual man, a real man of particular height, with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many pounds. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby. And before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of what that's like, think about how you would like to become a slug. It is a remarkable, incredible gift, this incarnation. And St. Athanasius, who wrote a wonderful treatise on this called On the Incarnation, that I would commend to you, contrasted Jesus from the kings of this world in this way. He said, the Lord did not come to make a display he came to save and to heal and to teach suffering men. For one who wanted to make a display, the thing would have been just to appear and dazzle the beholders. But for him who came to save and heal and teach, the way was not merely to dwell here, but to put himself at the disposal of those who needed him and to be manifested according as they could bear it not missing the value of the divine appearing by exceeding, exceeding our own capacity to receive it. The incarnation is the great mystery of Christianity, and it sets in motion that life of Jesus that we trace every year through the liturgical year, starting with his birth, 
prophesied just as we sang in that sermon hymn, nail's spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Jesus is born to die to save us from our sins and to bring us back to God. It is a glorious thing. And that brings us thirdly to the significance of the name of Jesus. And the interesting thing about it is that it's just this simple name, but with the most profound meaning. It means Yahweh, the great God, saves. Yahweh saves. And it is a reminder of who we see Yahweh to be, who we see his heart to be, his love for us, even while we were sinners. He came into the world in this fleshly form as a baby to save us. His very name is about our salvation. And as we live in this age of loneliness, let us not forget that his name is also Emmanuel, that God sent him to come to be with us, that we not, might not be alone walking this earthly pilgrimage, but that we would have a companion who has taken the initiative to come to be with us. He is the one that takes that initiative and leaves to us to welcome him in. There's a great meditation about the name of Jesus that that great English bishop, J.C. Ryle, wrote. Listen to these words. Ryle says this, the two names given to our Lord Jesus are deeply interesting. One is Jesus, the other Emmanuel. One describes his office, the other his nature. The name Jesus means savior. It's the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. It's given to our Lord because he saves his people from our sins. This is his special office. He saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them ultimately in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to live forever with him. He will save us from all the consequences of sin when he shall give us a glorious body at the last day. We are made meet for heaven only by Christ's spirit. This is salvation found only in the name of Jesus. Jesus is a very encouraging name to heavy laden sinners. He whose King of Kings and Lord of Lords might lawfully have taken some more high sounding title, but he did not do so. The rulers of this world have often called themselves great, conqueror, bold, the magnificent, and the like. The Son of God was content to call himself Savior. The souls which desire salvation may draw nigh to the Father with boldness and have access with confidence through Christ because it is his office and his delight to show mercy. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we see in these same verses talking about the name of Jesus, that other name, Emmanuel, that means God with us. That name that takes into it the fullness of what the incarnation means. That God, the one who made the universe and the stars and the heavens and the animals and every living creature, that he somehow has descended and entered into his own creation and been born of a woman, 
that he might tread the path of this earthly life to identify with all of our sorrows and temptations and pain and loneliness, all of these things, and that he would, by rising back up in the resurrection, draw our humanity up into the Trinity and save us through his atoning blood. It is an amazing and great gift. Scripture tells us over and over again of the power of the name of Jesus. It is a name that we are to call upon when we are in our extremity. But my friends, more than anything else, it is the name we are to call upon for our salvation. No matter how deep our sin, no matter how far away we may have wandered from the truth, the great good news is that God sent Jesus to save those who were far away from him. Think about the fact, as we mentioned in Genesis 3.15, that Adam and Eve have just sinned in such a way that they broke the whole creation. They destroyed the beauty of God's creation. They yielded to temptation and sin. And in the wreckage of that sin, God promises a savior. If you feel like your life is in wreckage, this feast of the holy name is a great reminder that Jesus comes to save even you. No matter how deep your sin, no matter how dark you may feel your future and prospects are, no matter how much anxiety may cling to you, no matter what diseases or family issues or job problems you may have, Jesus is born into the midst of all of that muck that he might save you because that is who God made him to be the Savior. Acts 4.11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And from Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, this is a cause for rejoicing. As we sang when we came in this morning, good Christian men rejoice, good Christian women rejoice, good Christian children rejoice. All of us are to rejoice because Christ was born to save. Christ was born for this. As we will sing later on, that Christ was born to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. However, as the theologian Kent Hughes says, we often have a problem. The truth is that even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who was born into the world must be born into your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ, is only a yellow brick road to darkness. But my friends, the angels are telling us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and they are proclaiming that salvation has come because of the name of Jesus Christ. And there is no better time and a Christmas season that coincides with the beginning of a new year to give your heart anew to Christ. Let us close in prayer as we 
Listen to these words written by Phillips Brooks. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen.